and welcome back to National Treasure Hunt, the podcast where the secret lies not only with Charlotte, but also with your co-hosts. I'm Aubrey. And I'm Emily. And today's episode wasn't supposed to happen, Emily. It was not. We made some special exceptions and pushed some other episodes out of the way just to make space for this one. We did. We did. Today's episode is one of our compare and contrast national treasure to another film or television show. And we are comparing national treasure to the relatively new movie Jungle Cruise. Um at the time of this recording, it's the end of August, which means Jungle Cruise has only been out for like a month-ish. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but Emily and I both saw it pretty much immediately. We'll talk about why in a few minutes. Um, and just to be like, you know, temporally relevant and really on the ball, especially because literally yesterday, again, based on the time of this recording, Disney announced that it's making a sequel to Jungle Cruise. So all of this just felt really natural for us to insert into the end of season three. And speaking of, this is episode 28. We only have two more episodes after this for this season. I don't know how that happened, like genuinely, but once again, here we are. Um, And before we get into what promises to be a very exciting episode comparing National Treasure to Jungle Cruise, we must start this episode the way we do all episodes, which is acknowledging how much National Treasure has seeped into every nook, cranny, and crevice of our daily lives ever since we started this podcast. This is Screams from Parkington Lane. Emily, do you have a scream to share this week? I do, Aubrey. So lately, my boyfriend's sister has been uh, rediscovering BuzzFeed quizzes. And she's been sending me some about some Disney princesses, which I've been taking, getting some solid answers. Mm -hmm. But she's also been sending me some about National Treasure. They make those? They do make those. So there's one in which, which National Treasure character are you? Did you get Riley? What do you think? I'm assuming that because you don't sound totally annoyed right now, the answer is yes. The answer is indeed yes. I was kind of waiting for you to be like my entire world shattered when I was, you know, Abigail or something. No, uh, I will actually read you. I've pulled up the description. I will read it to you. It says you are fun, excitable and easygoing. You are everyone's buddy and are always down for the ride. You hate cubicles and love aglets. I'm I'm not sure what that is. In your free time, you hang out at the Library of Congress. Not untrue. True. And chat with your friends about the various differences between jams and jellies. You likely want to be an author one day. So that's not all completely true, but I'll take it. I mean, I will agree that you are Riley. I agree with approximately 15% of that description. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) most of it was not Riley. (laughs) Especially the part that you're down for anything. Based on our last episode, uh, (laughs) definitely not. (laughs) Oh man, wow. So you've, you've been learning a lot about yourself. I have been in the context of National Treasure, so it's it's been a great time. I recommend everybody go check out these quizzes. Sounds like it. Sounds like a good time. Aubrey, do you have a screen? 
I do. And I'm cognizant of the fact that last week's scream for me was a dream. Um, but I have another dream to share. Um, and it's particularly appropriate for this episode. Um, so for people tuning in, I'm kind of continuing to break the fourth wall here. The time that we're recording this episode is just about a week and a half after Emily and I did our national treasure hunt tour in Washington, D.C., which we shared all about on social media. Go check out the archive footage if you haven't seen it. Wink, wink. Um, (laughs) But not long after we had that little adventure, I had a dream where uh, you and I, Emily, were in National Treasure. And we were like racing to find something. It was one of those dreams where I knew in my mind this was National Treasure. But if I think back to the scenes, like this does not accord with the movie if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, but like we're racing to find the treasure and I turn around and Mitch Wilkinson is behind me. And it was oh terrifying. Um, and then we had to like go through a secret passage with Mitch. And the next thing I know, by the time we get to the other side of the passage, we're still in national treasure, but this is very clearly like a Tarzan or like jungle cruise kind of vibe. <laughs> and I remember in my dream being confused. And wondering what had just happened because this was not national treasure. And it was, I was very clearly supposed to be finding the treasure in national treasure. And I felt deceived. Um, yeah. So that's my scream. I, I really feel like the, the deepest form of scream in some sense is a dream because it means that even your subconscious is thinking about national treasure. And the fact that it merged with Jungle Cruise in the lead up to us making this episode I'm just so far gone. Yeah, I I think it's wonderful. I I I hope to one day have as many dreams about national treasure as you do, Aubrey. Me too, because then I won't have to ask you every week if you have a scream. This is true. <laughs> so so that's my scream. Uh, we hope you enjoyed our screams this week. If you can relate, send us a message on social media. Yes, you can find us on. Twitter and Instagram at NT Hunt Podcast. And you can also find us to listen to on Apple Music, Spotify, and SoundCloud. We are the National Treasure Hunt Podcast. Go ahead, like, subscribe, rate, review, do whatever you can on any of those various platforms. Hit us up. Let us know what you're thinking. Tell us what you think maybe about Jungle Cruise versus National Treasure. You know, let us let us in on your thought processes as we let you in on ours during this beautiful podcast. And please tell me, you guys, that I'm not the only one who has dreams about National Treasure. I'll feel a lot better about myself if you send us your dreams about this movie. And with that said... <laughs> The way today's National Treasure versus Jungle Cruise is going to play out, as always, I want to start with a very quick outline of what you can expect. As per protocol, we will start with a very brief summary of Jungle Cruise to make sure everyone here is on the same page, even if you have not seen that movie. Then we are going to begin comparing and contrasting through a couple of uh, subgenres of film area if you will today how do you want to call these emily themes what are they i I like whatever you just said because it was funny and inaccurate (laughs) 
<laughs> I don't even know what I said. We're going through these themes of characters, then treasure hunt, then what Emily has dubbed fun slash random. So that's cool. And mm. then <laughs> as always, we will finish off this episode by answering the ultimate question, which movie wins, National Treasure or Jungle Cruise? So you have a lot to look forward to. And before we launch into this movie summary to start us off, which I know Emily is going to blow all of our minds by giving us such a solid summary. Right, Em? Right? Yes. Um, I just have to say, I, I knew personally that I had to see this movie. I had to see Jungle Cruise when online articles started saying that Jungle Cruise was a mix of Indiana Jones and National Treasure and Pirates of the Caribbean, which honestly I didn't know was possible. Like, I always think of National Treasure and Pirates as being from a similar era and from a similar like franchise defining, rewatchable, big star, you know, all that kind of stuff perspective. But merging the two, I was intrigued. Um, plus, I learned that Jungle Cruise is based on a Disney ride. And we've been saying for a while now, especially on our social media, that National Treasure needs its own ride. So that's kind of what made me feel like I needed to see this movie. And after I did, I personally felt that the comparisons between the two, like the the similarities past first glance are staggering. And Emily, you famously said on our last episode that you didn't think they were similar at all. So I'm really excited for this convo today. Um, but let's just say that from my perspective, these films had so many similar tropes and dynamics and structures that I was like taking notes in real time on my phone in the movie theater. My friend Betsy, who went to the movies with me, and I think she's listening. So hi, Betsy. Um, she can confirm this that I was literally like huddled trying to like block the screen so people didn't see the light and just like constantly taking notes, which I did not intend to do. Wow, Aubrey. At least I watched it at home and took notes. Oh no, again, my dear, I'm in it for the popcorn. Did you learn nothing from our episode when we were reflecting on the movie Pig and how I just needed that popcorn? I guess not. So with that, Let's launch right into this summary. Emily, tell us what Jungle Cruise is all about. Okay, guys. So get this. There's this woman and then there are two guys. Wow, we're off to a solid start here, aren't we? (laughs) The woman is played by Emily Blunt and she is a doctor, which we love to see. Love to see it. She believes in this legend of the tears of the moon which she believes she can find and that they will provide healing and stuff for all people everywhere, basically. And Aubrey's making a face. I mean, in theory, okay, can we just like back up a hot sec? There's a legend. Maybe we should start with the legend. It's like centuries old legend that says that this tears of the moon tree in the Amazon um, has these healing properties and Emily Blunt's character who is a doctor her name I think saying character's name is important because that's going to come up here Dr. Lily Houghton she is a like scientist meet the archaeologist kind of vibe um and this is happening importantly in the early 1900s so the timing is going to be very important here 
she thinks that through her research and her studies, she can find the tree and she could basically translate the healing powers to be used, I suppose, technically to heal mankind and, and revolutionize medicine. But the most direct implication that she says is this is happening. This, this movie takes place during World War One, and she wants to be able to revolutionize the, the British medicinal efforts for like the war. Continue. Mm-hmm. Uh, so she, you know, we start off our film and she's getting basically her entire proposal is getting um, rejected. Uh, funnily enough, the person actually making this proposal is her brother, who we learn is McGregor Houghton. He's making this proposal because they would not respect a woman doing it. We will get into that a little later on in the episode. Um And then they decide, you know, after they are rejected from this society in which they're trying to get funding and support from, that they're going to go ahead and they're going to find this, uh, I'm just going to call it a treasure because that's basically what it is, on their own. And they enlist the help of the skipper, Frank Wolf, who is played by The Rock, Mm -hmm. and go on and amazonian adventure down a river now the rock is a character that tells really bad jokes um i am told from my boyfriend's family that this is extremely similar to the ride that is in disney world and that the jokes that are used are the same jokes that you hear on the ride i think it's like the same script in like the first five minutes of the movie yes um so if you've been to the ride then you probably don't need to watch the first you know five ten minutes of the movie you're (laughs) probably covered there um only listen to the jokes once it's not worth listening to them again and basically they go on this like hunt for the treasure and then you know bad things start happening you find out that our old boy frank here is actually like 200 some years old Okay, spoiler alert. I feel like you need to introduce a spoiler alert. <laughs> I thought we were giving them a description of the movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, you're right. Go on. I, I have a lot of things to add, but go on. He's like 200 years old. He was like around when they first found the Tears of the Moon with the dude. There's this bad guy who was trying to find the Tears of the Moon and worked with these indigenous people in order to find it like killed them and they were cursed basically so that they can't be out of sight of the river or else they like freeze into stone is it basically what happens they don't explain it that way but that's basically what happens like once they're out of sight of the river they you've turn been into saying stone. you've been saying they a lot who turns the bad guys which bad, bad guys? guys there are multiple sets of bad guys in this movie the bad the bad guy who was looking for the flower everyone's looking for the flower in this movie back when the rock was young okay can i okay i want to add some points here the the there are two sets of villains here that i think are really important to bring up because they're going to come up later in the episode um there are there's there's a huge supernatural vibe to this movie and the reason even even that the rock can be so old in in this film is because of the supernatural element obviously 
he was part of the original like conquistador crew that again centuries ago was trying to find the tears of the moon and they basically abused the generosity of the local indigenous tribe in in doing so and so that's why they end up cursed um the real bad guys are not frank it's frank's old crew members who are functionally zombies in a weird way but not you know they're like they're also 200 some years old but they're constantly like hardening into stone all that kind of fun stuff that emily just described they are bad guys there's also present day bad guy who is i think a german prince is he german or austrian do you remember he's german okay there's a german prince who also wants to find the tears of the moon to Basically, he's like the antithesis to Emily Blunt's character. He wants to use it for bad. I think that's the simplest way to put it. So there's a lot of bad guys going on here. Yeah. I mean, I feel like I said that all, but okay. Didn't even talk about the German. (laughs) Basically, at the end, they find the tears of the moon. Emily Blunt does some questionable things and makes a sacrifice that we don't quite love, saves the rock's life he's fine they end up together everybody gets the medicine we're happy ever after the german guy i forget how but he's defeated somehow um and the and and the the stone bros are as well yeah stone bros are stone (laughs) so that's the movie (laughs) so if you all didn't understand that um then you were out of luck for the rest of no i'm just kidding um Go ahead and like check out the Wikipedia or something for a more in-depth summary. Honestly, though, what we just told you is, I think, enough of an introduction to the characters to make the rest of this make sense. Um, So thank you, Emily, for the summary. And thank you for letting me tag team in and just fill in some of the little blanks. You're welcome, Aubrey. And speaking of characters, you know, the first thing we're going to go into here is the character structure. Yeah. Now... You're going to notice a couple times in this episode, Aubrey's going to bait me and be like, I think there's so much that these movies have in common and you don't. Okay. Let me just start by saying, I don't think the movies have that much in common. I think that there are some similarities, which I will touch upon, but I would like to note that the amount of notes that I took on the similarities between these two movies fit on like one page which for me, taking notes on a movie is not very much. I think it's basically some character structures, the fact that they're going on a treasure hunt, and that's like about it. Mm-mm. I, I, I honestly couldn't disagree with you more. My notes were like two to three pages. And I, I do agree that from a surface level, there are limited similarities. When you get to the granular level of detail in terms of character and plot structure and plot devices and things like that that we do with National Treasure, for me, it was impossible not to recognize a lot of similarities. And we'll get to all of them and you know we'll have the debate and, and whatnot. But I think this is going to be a really interesting conversation. But like you said, the first place for us to start here is with the character structure. So I would like to start the character structure. Okay. And just say that I was confused. Okay. Okay. So the brother, uh, McGregor Houghton, played by Jack Whitehall, is 100% Riley. 100%. 
Okay. So we can agree on that. Uh-huh. He seems like less keen on adventure. He's used as the comic relief. He doesn't seem to like fully believe in the legend, which is somewhat similar to Riley. And then he has his doubts about what Ben is doing throughout National Treasure and National Treasure 2. 100%. Great. Uh, Emily Blunt's character, uh, Lily Houghton, Mm -hmm. seems like a cross between Ben and Abigail to me. Yeah, I think that um, between Lily Houghton and Frank Wolf, you have the surface level comparison and then you have like the deeper comparison. For me, the surface level for various surface level reasons like woman character, doctoral degree, etc., you can make a direct comparison between Lily and Abigail Chase, and you can make a direct comparison between Frank and Ben. Again, male character, big, strong lead, like whatever. Um, but yes, if you go a little bit deeper, I think that Lily, um, you do see elements of Ben in Lily. But continue. I'll go. I'll, I can go into more detail in a minute. I just, I don't see elements of Ben in Frank. How? Because he's nothing like Frank. I think he's a lot like Frank. And I'll, I'll get to, let me go into my little spiel here, maybe. Yeah, um, please. So I want to. me. Okay. So I think to answer your question, I need to start by just saying or clarifying that on the surface, I attribute or, or connect Lily and Abigail, Frank and Ben And then McGregor and Riley, of course. Mm -hmm. And I'd want to spend, I think, more time on Lily in just a minute. But to answer your question, I think that Ben and Frank obviously have the surface level comparison of the male lead, Mm -hmm. obvious. Um, And they both have these, these goals and this passion for this treasure hunt, which the only reason... I think you don't see that in in Frank as being like a main driver for him is because he's not portrayed as the first character we meet that like leads, that drives this Jungle Cruise movie. But once we do meet him, and I would argue once he becomes an equal playing field character as Emily Blunt's character, you learn how passionate he has been about this. Like you have that whole, he has a whole cabin in his um boat dedicated to all these old maps and trying to suss out where the tears of the moon tree is and everything he he has the same level of passion and dedication that ben has and on top of it of course he is our male lead i also think that just like we argue in national treasure that abigail and ben are equally matched Mm -hmm. in terms of male female lead in terms of level of intellect in terms of passion for the hunt, etc. I think you could say the same exact thing comparing Lily and Frank across mm-hmm. all, all, all boards there. Um, but what I really think is notable, it, it's maybe less important to assign identical characters. So like, it's less important to say, oh, Lily is Abigail, Frank is Ben, you know, whatever, aside from the fact that it's so obvious that McGregor's Riley. <laughs> I mean, that one was just like, like no uh, brainer immediately easy. Like y'all, he's got to have that funny sidekick, dude. Um, I think more important than recognizing those equivalencies is the, the structure of the characters themselves and some of the traits that they have being super conserved here. So, um, so for example, we see clear elements of Ben in, in Dr. Houghton, in Emily Blunt's character, which 
I'm sorry, I'm going to use Lily Houghton and Emily Blunt interchangeably in this episode. It's just going to happen, and I apologize in advance. Um, but, you know, for example, Ben's family and national treasure passed down the legend of the Templar treasure and the Charlotte for generations, which really inspired Ben's passion for the hunt. Dr. Houghton's father passed down the legend of the tears of the moon tree to her, which inspires her passion for the hunt. So that's something that I see as being, you know, it's not saying like, oh, you know, Lily is Ben because of this, but there's this conserved backstory mm. that I find really reminiscent. Um, I also think it's important to note that the main character in both films has a noble goal for their hunt. And that's so much so that we've talked about Ben's quote unquote nobility or lack thereof in our character analysis these episodes, right? Um, yeah. Where Ben is really trying to preserve history and return it to its descendants. He's very clearly not in, in it for personal gain. Dr. Houghton, similarly, is not in this for personal gain. She, you know, wants to improve medicine to help great Great Britain in, in World War One. Whereas, much like the villains, which I know we're gonna get to a little bit later, but just like previewing that, the villains in both of these films have very similar, more greedy motivations. So, Aubrey, something that I, I do agree with you on, it's definitely this noble goal mm. that these characters have for their hunt. Something that I noticed that I don't know I'm going to mention it because I found it interesting. I don't know if there's anything to it, really. Okay. But it seems that Emily Blunt's character has some side quests during the movie, which you see. So she, for example, wants to release all the birds and the monkeys from their cages, like right mm. before they leave on the Jungle Cruise. Mm -hmm. And she goes, you know, for it to the point where she almost misses the boat as it's leaving national treasure on the other hand is more focused on the main treasure itself mm -hmm. and it doesn't really give the characters an extra layer of depth i mean they obviously save each other but that happens in this film too okay i see what you're saying but counterpoint we've often said that for example the real treasure and national treasure is the declaration of independence and there's an entire element of that film that's about protecting the declaration right? Even the whole stealing it to save it from the, like, I'm going to drop you so I don't drop the declaration. I'm going to save you dangling on, you know, there's, there's, there is a little bit of a side quest when you consider the declaration or, you know, the minor quest of each national treasure movie, the heist, we keep calling it actually throughout the season, the main heist in each movie is in a sense, it's a related quest. So it's it's more directly related to the hunt than I think like the saving the monkeys is, um, but it's still there. And it's still a really prominent part of each of the films. Yeah, I agree. I, I definitely agree with that. I think all that I'm trying to say is that I feel like by giving us that the insight into her character into emily blunt's character and that she was willing to go release the birds and the monkeys added an additional layer of depth to the character that after just having completed all of our character analyses for the characters in national treasure sometimes we feel is lacking and mm -hmm. i wonder if having something that was slightly less related to the fun like to the final treasure itself would have given us maybe some more depth I'm not sure mm -hmm. but it's just a thought I actually completely agree with you on that I, I think it 
even though we don't have a long backstory for Emily Blunt's character, we feel like we know her better, perhaps, than we do someone like Abigail or Riley. Um, I feel like we know more about her brother, McGregor, the sidekick character, than we do about Riley, Mm -hmm. you know? I think a lot of that comes from what they're doing in the background or like you just said, you know, these side quests. So that's, that's a great point. Um, but speaking of Emily Blunt's character, I did also want to point out that it's notable that the main female character in each movie has a doctoral degree, which we love to see, as love you mentioned. Um, and on top of it, even though they don't have doctoral degrees, Ben and Frank both have the historical knowledge and the precedent and the time put in searching for this treasure, if you want to call it that, to meaningfully contribute to this hunt. Um, and so that's another way that I think they're they're pretty parallel. Furthermore, uh, like I already alluded to, I think that Emily Blunt's character and The Rock's character have the same level of wit, which manifests really in their, their playful banter and the way they come across when speaking to each other. And I think that this is the same level of wit that Abigail and Ben exhibit while recognizing, of course, that Abigail and Ben are trying to be less overtly funny than it's clearly trying to be in Jungle Cruise. Mm -hmm. Um, Though, and I'd be curious to hear your thoughts on this, Emily, I would probably say that the romantic tension for Dr. Houghton and Frank appears much sooner in Jungle Cruise than that tension for Ben and Abigail in National Treasure. I completely agree. So I I agree with you in that they, they both share this level of wit. And we know from seeing the movie that they both share a mutual interest in the jungle and nature, similar to how Abigail and Ben share a mutual interest in history. But I do agree, like you said, that it starts to build the love story much sooner mm-hmm. than you see in National Treasure. And specifically, I'm alluding to a scene in Jungle Cruise where you see The Rock taking a video of Emily Blunt's character And I think to me, at least, that was the moment where I knew that he liked her. I will say, to be fair to National Treasure, Emily Blunt and The Rock, their characters actually team up much more quickly in this film than Ben and Abigail do. So they have more time with one another Mm. in which to kind of start to develop the love story than Abigail and Ben do at the beginning of National Treasure. Because if you think about it, the beginning of National Treasure is all about stealing the Declaration of Independence. And we don't really add Abigail in until a little bit after that. But by the 30 minute mark in Jungle Cruise, we have both of our main characters interacting with one another. So I think that that also plays into it. Yeah, it certainly didn't take a lot of convincing for The Rock to be like on board. Yeah, he was just kind of like, sure, let's do it. Especially when there was like money involved and stuff. And, (laughs) And when he realized she had the arrowhead, you know, clue if you will that we'll come back to in a little bit but um abigail took much more convincing but part of this too could have to do with the the era and and the implications of what's happening in this film and and the era again world war one era for jungle cruise really plays a role i think in something that you I'm sure have a lot of thoughts on Emily, which is the patriarchal tones in Jungle Cruise. And I know on this podcast, we like to sometimes jokingly, sometimes not jokingly complain about those patriarchal tones in National Treasure. But you've got to admit that by comparison, Jungle Cruise blows those tones literally out of the water, out of the Amazon River, if you will. (laughs) 
is the Amazon River the villain, though? We'll have to come back to that point later. Yes, 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 yes. Um, so, like I like I mentioned, I really think that Jungle Cruise is leaning into this historical era in which women were very overtly treated as inferior. And we see this manifest immediately in this movie when Dr. Houghton can't give, like you mentioned in our movie summary, she can't give the presentation to the Royal Society, this, you know, scientific male run scholarly society. And her brother, who is not the expert here, has to give her presentation for her. And I think, like you point out, Emily, when Ben and Riley are supporting the patriarchy, arguably more subtly, with respect to Abigail in National Treasure, Frank does this too. Mm. Specifically when he, for example, won't let go of the fact that Dr. Houghton is wearing pants, and this is just so egregious to him. Oh my gosh. The pants comments throughout this entire film were so frustrating to me. He literally calls her pants as a nickname. I know, and I hate that I kind of liked it at the end. <laughs> I mean, yeah. So I, I just, even though the the patriarchal tone, if you will, um, for Jungle Cruise is so much more overt and again, has to do with the era. I do think that you can make the comparison of Frank almost unintentionally um, almost unintentionally advancing that tone in the same way that you say Ben and Riley do in, in National Treasure. Um, for the record, I, I want it on the record to say that I also don't love that Dr. Houghton is made to look like a fool so often. Yeah. Especially early in the film when we're like just getting to know her and it's like really coloring our impression of her as a character and you're trying to figure out like what is the vibe we're supposed to be getting from her what is our opinion of her supposed to be? So for example, at the very beginning when she's stealing um, a critical artifact, with it's sort of a clue, um, this arrowhead from the Royal Society that she'll need for the hunt, um, she like is hanging from a pole outside of the building because you know she got caught and she's just like running away, right? Yeah. And she's caught in this, this compromising situation. There's also, when you're talking about when she was releasing the monkeys, she was sort of in a chase scene of sorts um, when she was trying to board Frank's boat. Yes. And she's like swinging almost zip line mm -hmm. style and mm -hmm. like gets hit with a sack. Yep, yep. Like, I, I, from reality television terms, we call this a fool edit, which is usually not a good thing for like a reality television contestant. And I would say that comparably, neither Ben nor Abigail get a fool's edit in National Treasure at all. So, and we've That's seen- That's true. That is reserved for Riley. And even his fool edit is nothing like this. It is, it is, he's the comic relief, which I think is different than the fool. Um, and since we've seen the no fool edit vibe work in National Treasure, I'm really not sure why it's needed here. Um, mm. I started to think, Emily, that this whole vibe, this fool vibe, um, was persistent in this film because Jungle Cruise is supposed to be more of a comedy than National Treasure is. Um, but then I remembered 
that there's more blood, gore, and death in the first five minutes of Jungle Cruise than in both National Treasure movies combined. So now I'm just utterly confused regarding what Jungle Cruise is going for tone-wise. <laughs> utterly confused is how the movie left me as well, not just in reference to the tone or the patriarchy. <laughs> <laughs> and yet it's getting a sequel. It is. I mean yeah (laughs) i don't i don't know um do you have any other thoughts on sort of this the patriarchy side of the characters um i think i the only other thing i noticed and i was not sure how to take this is that the rocks character was a bit rude to mcgregor as well and seemed to make some passive-aggressive comments towards him at various points in the film that somehow seemed to be seated in the patriarchy. And I say this only because of the fact that the character was relatively flamboyantly gay Mm -hmm. in a way that we haven't typically seen in Disney movies up to this point. Mm -hmm. And I say, I don't know how to feel about this because that really is a very disappointing portrayal to me of applying the patriarchy to a character that is also a man but is somehow possibly seen as more feminine by the rocks character because of the fact that he's gay so i just think it's not a huge thing it it, that's seen pervasively throughout the movie but there were a few points in which i noticed this happening and it's just something that i wanted to bring up so that maybe as a community it's something that we could take a look at and i'd be interested to hear other people's thoughts on this as well because i am you and i are both very supportive of uh gay rights and all of that kind of stuff so i think to to see this in the context of the patriarchy is is slightly upsetting to say the least i would agree with you i would also agree that that plus what we've already pointed out with Emily Blunt's character and the way she's treated. Um, and then one other point that I'm about to, to make makes this all feel very confusing in terms of what tone Disney is trying to take with this. And this is just very subtle. Um, but when you think of a common Disney trope, especially when it comes to animated films, it's the Disney princess trope where there's this unspoken kinship with animals between the Disney princess and like the birds or the rabbits or, you know, whatever it may be. Mm -hmm. And to my admittedly limited knowledge, but based on like the classic Disney movies, that role is always attributed to the princess, the girl, the woman, right? In Jungle Cruise, that role is filled by Frank with the the jaguar that he has as a pet and like we learn that he's had this special relationship with jungle cats his entire 200 year life um i will i i do agree that that mostly stands up especially with some of the older disney movies mm -hmm. i will push back slightly is that not the case with new ones i don't it's not always the case with new ones so even some of the old ones i'm thinking of aladdin we know that Jasmine was friends mm. with the tiger, but we also know that Aladdin had the really special relationship with the monkey Abu. 
Mm-hmm. Right. But you still have the princess trope of her having that relationship with the tiger. So that I can totally still get behind. The one that I'm thinking of right now is Frozen. And with although the deer. that with the reindeer, yes, not the deer, Aubrey, the reindeer with Sven. And Kristoff, who's the guy, is the one that has Sven as his friend, while the two women characters who both end up being princesses, so it's already a little messed up in terms of the classical Disney structure anyway, don't necessarily have a friend. But I do think that that is something that very much was kept consistent up until, you know, recent times. Mm-hmm. I, but, I mean, whether or not it's consistent or whether or not it's consistent up until recent times, it still doesn't take away the fact that, you know, people joke around like, oh, I just fed a squirrel out of my hand. I'm a Disney princess. Like there's a trope here. There's a stereotype here. And when you compare who the Rock's character is, again, the mass, like stereotypically masculine, large, I'm going to protect my boat and my crew man. um, And you see that in comparison to the, you think, oh, the fact that he has this special relationship with animals is, um, it's a, it's a really positive move for the way Disney was going to take this movie. But then you, you compare it to the way what we pointed out, what you just pointed out with McGregor and what we've talked about with Emily Blunt's character. And I just find the whole dynamic very confusing. Like what, what is their stance here? Yeah. Yeah. I agree. It is, it is a little confusing and maybe maybe that's progress in some sense and that they're not taking a super hard stance one way or the other but I think we've given enough examples to suggest that there's still enough of the patriarchy present that it is a bit unsettling yeah so With that being said, let's go ahead and move right along to our next point of comparison, which is the, as I like to refer to them, the treasure hunts of these two movies. Now, Aubrey, you already started us off by mentioning, as did I in my beautiful summary, that the legend of the Tears of the Moon is very similar to the legend about the Templar treasure that is told to Ben Gates as a child in the beginning of National Treasure. Mm Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, we covered the fact that this is passed down in the family, which I think mirrors very well what we see in National Treasure. And interestingly, the brother's speech in the beginning of this film is actually rejected by a noble audience, which is similar to what we see in the beginning of National Treasure 2. When Ben is trying to speak to the audience And Mitch Wilkinson stands up and says something that is contrary to what Ben Gates is presenting. And then his speech is therefore somewhat rejected by the audience at hand. Mm -hmm. That's interesting. And then I like, I want to go with your point once again, and then I'll let you, because I know you have a lot to say here. I'll let you jump in. But something else that I wanted to mention um, that you have previously mentioned is that the hunt for the treasure seems to be noble Mm -hmm. as it in both films but i would argue that the hunt for this treasure the tears of the moon seems to be slightly more noble because she wants to heal like all people it depends on your feelings about war i suppose 
It does. And but also, it, we. it depends on your feelings about war and then also whether her intention is to help all of Great Britain and its allies or just Great Britain. But I'm with you a little. So the only reason that I'm pulling this is because there's a quote in the movie where she's where the rock says you'd rather risk your life and your brother's life saving people you don't even know and she says i don't have to know them to care mm-hmm. which to me suggests that it might be a slightly larger audience in the end than just the british soldiers in world war one but that's also you know a conflating the quote a bit. i mean she also doesn't know the soldiers and i think it's a good quote though and it definitely Thank speaks you. to her her broader purpose <laughs> Thank you for acknowledging that quote. (laughs) Okay. Anyway, Aubrey, why don't you go ahead and tell us a little bit about what you seem to, or what you see as some comparable uh, points between these two relatively different treasure hunts. (laughs) I think there are a lot of subtle similarities here. Um, And you can ask yourself whether that's a coincidence. You can ask yourself whether it was intentional, if there's like sort of a structure that Disney knew worked well. Um, Or if you can ask yourself, is this just the broader motif of how treasure hunt-esque stories go in pop culture? And it could be a combination of those things. But I'm kind of going to jump around here a little bit. Just some some thoughts that I have here and there. Um, I first want, uh, when thinking about the beginning of this film, I'm taken back to our Hunt for Oceans episode earlier this season of our podcast, where we wondered about the importance of the, the replacement, if you will, when you're conducting an effective heist. So recall, mm-hmm. we said in Oceans 8 they had to replace the two sand diamond necklace with a fake one so that they could like make the plan work and, and get away from the scene of the crime, et cetera. And in National Treasure, at least the first movie, they have the replica Declaration of Independence as being essential to the heist being successful. Um, a heist is yes. conducted within the first 10 minutes of Jungle Cruise. Um, so temporally mm-hmm. it falls in a different place in the film, but... <laughs> That first heist, 10 minutes versus first 30 minutes, you know. <laughs> right. Um, but that heist in Jungle Cruise also employs the replacement tactic. Um, in this um, case, she is stealing the arrowhead that we've mentioned now a couple of times, and she replaces it with like this toucan trinket. Yeah. Which admittedly, the toucan trinket is less important for her being able to complete the heist successfully, and it's used more as a plot device for humor. Mm-hmm. Um But I think that's interesting and worth mentioning, maybe lending to our supposition in Hunt for Oceans that the replacement is just a concept used in heist movies. Okay. Um, So there's just like a piece of evidence there. Now, getting away from Oceans 8, because like, I don't know how we got there. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I also wanted to note that National Treasure, National Treasure 2, and Jungle Cruise are all anchored on different wars as part of their plot okay Mm. in national treasure of course which as a film takes place in the present day those wars are referenced historically but they're clearly an important part of the plot device we have the revolutionary war in in the first movie and we have the civil war in the second film um in jungle cruise which takes place in the past the war world war one is presented as current um 
And I just got to say, this was really interesting for me to think about. I was literally in the theater, besides taking notes, I was leaning over to my friend Betsy and like asking her questions about the world wars in the middle of the theater while the movie was playing because um, the world wars are just an enormous blind spot in my historical knowledge. I digress. Um, (laughs) But I think the fact that wars are used as plot devices is interesting. Um, And... Maybe I would argue that since Jungle Cruise has, quote unquote, taken World War One, that that war as a plot device would be sort of out of the running for use in National Treasure 3. No, I don't want that to be true. Really? No, I think it would be so interesting if we got into the World War as a National Treasure. Well, the reason I say that is because you really don't see a lot of replication in Disney films in terms of like explicit plot devices. You see structures and things like we're talking about here, but like, for example, there were rumors years ago that one of the first reasons National Treasure 3 was initially derailed was because Pirates of the Caribbean used the Fountain of Youth in one of its sequels, and that was something they had considered for National Treasure 3, and once that happened, they had to go back to the drawing board because they were not going to use the Fountain of Youth again, you know? Uh, okay. Whether or not that's true, we actually don't know, but, like, I don't think we're going to see the like world war one replicated now that we've seen it here especially if national treasure three is to happen anytime soon this would be too recent memory okay um okay yeah so maybe world war two you can cross your fingers for that well we get nazis in a lot of these movies we don't need more nazis i would agree with you i mean there are other wars but you know this is this is totally for another episode um so moving along in the treasure hunt um I wanted to point out this arrowhead that Emily Blunt steals at the very beginning and is an important clue for how to find and access the Tears of the Moon tree. Um, the, the arrowhead contains indigenous writing in like what's effectively yeah. an antique language. Mm-hmm. And they have to translate the arrowhead. This is identical plot-wise to translating the planks in National Treasure 2, which also is, you know, an antique Native American writing. Okay. You know, not only are they both Indigenous writing, but they both end up containing riddles once they are translated, right? And that's why we needed Professor Helen Mirren in National Treasure 2 to, to do the translation, and then Ben, of course, to crack the riddle once he knew what the riddle said. In Jungle Cruise, we hear a long, you know, riddle, which honestly I didn't care enough about because it's not National Treasure to know in detail, but it starts, (laughs) (laughs) you must turn water to stone, which is a riddle, okay? And the result of translating and interpreting the riddle in both films is the exact location of the treasure, Yes. Okay. Yes. See, I think my problem with this, Aubrey, and it won't surprise you at all, was that I was thinking primarily of this point in relation to National Treasure 1 and not National Treasure 2. So I got the whole arrowhead supposed to be like the Charlotte or the Declaration of Independence thing. But when it came to like the native language and like the the riddle, I was just kind of like, I, I don't see any comparison. But now, now it's coming to me. So thank you for reminding me of National Treasure too. No, of course. And admittedly, there are parts of the arrowhead that become very much like the Meerschaum pipe on the Charlotte. Um, so yeah, I, I think 
that is is one of the most the the whole plank equals arrowhead and the way that's used is is such an equivalency such a conserved plot point between these films that once you see it you can't unsee it you know what i mean mm-hmm. um also related to important clues there's just like a lack of creativity and movie structure here where you know just like ian has to be able to get the declaration for suspense purposes the one of the conquistador zombie guys needs to get the arrowhead for suspense purposes and both artifacts are saved by the good guys right ben saves the declaration and frank saves the arrowhead and you know that's also just very common adventure movie trope Mm -hmm. um but again, very similar because these are both adventure movies and have this historical element and et cetera, et cetera. Um, another thought here, and I'm going to get into a little bit of just some like rants now as well, because I have some rants and I love sharing them. Um, the whole concept of the reincarnated conquistadors in Jungle Cruise, um, this is really where this movie became Pirates of the Caribbean to me. Yes. These reincarnated conquistadors are basically Davy Jones and his crew from one of the Pirates of the Caribbean movies. And I literally cannot unsee it. And I would bet a very substantial amount of money that Disney just like repurposed the algorithm that they used in Pirates to put tentacles on Davy Jones's face as an octopus to put snakes on the conquistador's face in Jungle Cruise. I don't disagree with that. You did. I will say, guys, Aubrey warned me about this before I saw the movie. She was like, there's going to be a scene and you're going to see it and it's going to be Pirates of the Caribbean. And you're going to be like, of course, they use the same thing. And as soon as I saw it, I knew exactly what she was talking about. It's not wrong, right? No, you're correct. Um, But OK, I will uh, get back to National Treasure here a little bit um, and to one of our past episodes actually from um, season two when we did Hunt for Indiana Jones you if you remember that episode at all you might recall that I personally lose interest in movies that rely super heavily on a supernatural plot line because I have a hard time a harder time like buying into it because it doesn't feel like it's something that could happen in my like world around me. Mm-hmm. Um, and so seeing that be a major justification for the plot in Jungle Cruise compared to National Treasure, which we see, you do not need, I'll use the same argument that we use in the Indiana Jones episode. You do not need a supernatural element to be able to justify and make these plots work. National Treasure proves that. So like the fact that they went that route with Jungle Cruise and it was, such an important part of it really irks me and spoiler alert national treasure is going to come out way on top for me compared to jungle cruise i guess you can stop listening to this episode now if you really want to (laughs) okay aubrey what's your next little rant okay here's another similarity that i akin to or that i liken to um the whole arrowhead plank comparison i find it funny maybe coincidental maybe on a bad day, uncreative, um, that the vault Dr. Houghton and Frank have to access to eventually reach the um, tears of the moon tree at sort of at the end of their hunt, that the vault is underwater, which makes the villain of the film, yet another villain, I guess, water, just like a national treasure too. So 
ironically, also like in National Treasure 2, where water plays this pivotal role in a cavern or a vault, if you will, there's a lever used to drain the water, much like we see in Cibola in National Treasure 2, not to mention the fact that once the water actually drains out of in Jungle Cruise, this cavern area, the surrounding environment looks a heck of a lot like Cibola. It's just not gold. Yeah. Like, is this another reused algorithm? Maybe? I don't know. You're not wrong. <laughs> Did you notice that too? I 100% noticed that too. I actually made a note of it in, in my note-taking. It was one of the few few notes that I that I did take as oh a comparison gosh. point for these movies so good good for us I think it's a, on that I think it's a big one I don't think it can be understated it's just like the the whole arrow and planks you can't unsee it once you've seen it um and I'm gonna end my my rant section this is less of a rant and kind of just the third big treasure hunt plot point alluding back to what you said Emily where the arrowhead feels to you more like the whole Charlotte like an an initial clue I think this whole circular original clue concept is conserved in both National Treasure 1 and Jungle Cruise as well just like the Meerschaum pipe which they find first on the Charlotte is used as like a physical key to access the Templar treasure in Parkington Lane at the very end. The arrowhead in Jungle Cruise is also used as a physical key to access the tree, like making it bloom so that they can actually get the petals that they need to achieve these medicinal benefits. Yes, yes, yes. Sorry, I got really excited because this whole scene, I was just like national treasure. Yeah, okay. So, okay, you're... (laughs) What you're admitting to me is that you're seeing more parallels than you want to let on. I'm seeing some, but I don't think the movies are like the same. Of course they're not the same. What what I'm saying is if you were in the writer's room for Jungle Cruise and you were like, oh, I'm stuck. And someone was like, oh, check out this Disney movie, these two Disney movies from 2004 and 2007 for inspiration. And then you saw the outcome of Jungle Cruise. You'd be like, huh. I see how someone handed me those scripts back in the writing process. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. Fair. Okay, so I think that pretty much sums up the whole treasure hunt component of this conversation. Now I think we should get into the part that you're calling fun slash random comparisons. Yeah, so this is basically just more of some rants that we have <laughs> uh, about these movies. It, we're going to talk about the villain and we're going to talk about what bothers us immensely about the ending of this film, which really has nothing to do with national treasure. It's just going to be a place for us to air our grievances about the ending (laughs) of this film. Because if you hadn't noticed, (laughs) we are now film critics. Yes. So (laughs) let's start out with the villains. So I just want to point out the extent of my notes on the villain. Okay. Full extent. In Jungle Cruise? in Jungle Cruise was that the bad guy seems somewhat similar to Ian in National Treasure Mm -hmm. and that the bad guy and this is the German bad guy the German bad guy just wants the treasure for himself and he doesn't seem particularly intelligent on his own Mm -hmm. he uses a little bit more brute force And he also doesn't understand that there's this extra part to finding the treasure at the end, 
much in the same way that when Ian's men get downstairs, Ben is able to trick them in National Treasure by telling them the one if by land, two if by sea clue mm-hmm. and sending them off when Ben realized, in fact, that there was another component that he needed to complete before he would get to the treasure. 100%. I think Ian and the German prince are very equivalent. They also both have like unlimited resources to be yeah. able to conduct their exploits. They they're much more selfish in their rationale. They just kind of want to be, they literally want to be led to the treasure. We see it with Ian sort of following Ben's every move. We see that with Mitch as well, for what it's worth. But in Jungle Cruise, we see it, (laughs) this is dumb, and and I'm not going to explain this further. Y'all can look on Wikipedia if you want to understand this further. But the German prince follows a bumblebee. Don't ask. Oh my gosh. My roommate walked in on that scene and was like, is he talking to a bumblebee right now? (laughs) Yeah, but here's the thing. We've already agreed that like the conquistador zombies are supernatural and Davy Jones. And so there's no way to compare them to national treasure. Agreed. Um, But from the perspective of looking at the German and, and Ian, 100%, 100% equivalent to me in terms of like villain structure. Mm-hmm. Um, so my gripe about the villains here is when it comes to Jungle Cruise, and I think I alluded to this at the beginning, I'm really not sure who the real villain is like supposed to be. Is it the German guy? Is it the conquistadors? At some point, you're almost meant to think it's Frank, and then like that goes away pretty quickly. Um, there's just again, as the film critic that I have become, there's just too much going on here, in my opinion. I agree. And you know, even so, even so, there are, there are these these villains and, and they're complicated. We still see the main characters having to work with those villains at the end of the film to achieve their final goal, much like we see in, um, in both National Treasure films. So I don't love the villains in Jungle Cruise. I think it's too much, but I think they at least the the real not zombie version of them can be equated to national treasure pretty some like pretty fairly yeah um, that's, that's a good point and now emily we must get to the ending we must we must so we can kind of relate this to national treasure a little and i'll try to but now that we have gotten to the ending it must be stated that we hate the fact that Emily Blunt's character was willing to give up her noble cause, that all of this was for. It was for the medicinal purposes. It was for the, you know, helping the soldiers in the war, saving thousands of lives. She was willing to give that up at the end to save the life of one person of Frank, who- That she just met. That she, well, and on top of it, he actually said he was chill with not being saved. Like, yeah, it almost went against his, against his wishes. Exactly. Now, uh, and, and so the fact that that was the choice that the main character, who also happens to be a woman, makes in this film, basically saving her love, is very OG Disney, which is very annoying. Um, and of mm. course, since this is Disney, like everything works out for everyone. Frank is saved. The bad guys are defeated and we get the medicinal purposes of the plant um but i just want to point out you would never 
see Abigail do that in National Treasure. In fact, she actually admits that she would have dropped Ben to his potential death to save the Declaration of Independence in the first film. Um, Which I love as a statement for that character. It's great. 100%. 100%. So do you have anything else to add on that? To me, it just like speaks for itself. I, yeah, I think I agree with you. It just speaks for itself. When I, when I saw it, I was horrified and... I knew it was going to work out, like you said, because it's a Disney film. So I knew all of our bases would be covered mm-hmm. when everything was said and done. But I still wasn't pleased that it was the direction that was taken. Yeah, that that's all I have to say. Okay, Emily. So now that we've finally gotten to this point, we have to answer the question of which movie wins, National Treasure or Jungle Cruise? I mean, I already said my bit. national treasure like 11 out of 11 times out of 10 national treasure wins this battle for me um but i did really enjoy um finding the subtle comparisons and the similarities and getting myself to ask the questions of like were they inspired by national treasure in certain points i feel like we've made the argument today that at certain points they very well might have been um On top of this, if I had to go back to sort of the impetus for us watching this movie, to those articles that said that Jungle Cruise is Indiana Jones meets National Treasure meets Pirates of the Caribbean, I would say that Jungle Cruise is Indiana Jones because of the archaeology and the fact that it's a period piece, and it really doesn't have a lot of puzzles, and it has the supernatural implications but I also think it's Pirates of the Caribbean, exclusively because of the boating angle and the conquistadors. Um, I yeah. really wouldn't say that it is equivalent to National Treasure. I wouldn't put that in the headline of my article. But again, if yeah. you're going to do the deep dive that we did today, there are clearly similarities, but it is more similar to Indiana Jones and Pirates. Yes, Aubrey. And I, so I have to say, I agree with you completely on that point. I think it is definitely more similar to Indiana Jones and Pirates. And I think that was my, my struggle from the beginning with prepping for this episode and joking in last episode about how I, you know, didn't think the movies were similar at all, because I do find most of the comparisons to be between Indiana Jones and Pirates of the Caribbean. However, I will say that in the course of preparing for this episode, as well as the course of recording this episode with you, I have been convinced that there are some similarities between this movie and National Treasure. Now, that being said, which movie wins? I mean, guys, it's National Treasure. (laughs) It's It's National Treasure. There's no question. In terms of just pure rewatchability, it's National Treasure. And I love what you said Aubrey about how this movie is lacking puzzles Mm -hmm. because I realized that the puzzles the clue to clue to clue bits and pieces of national treasure and national treasure 2 which we have we love that's like one of the big draws Uh, yeah that's 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 the reason I go back time and time again is because I love following even if I don't remember or understand how all of them connect with one another (laughs) I love following that those types of storylines and as you said Aubrey it was just it was just missing in Jungle Cruise unfortunately yeah I think ultimately for me based on this conversation that we've had at the surface level like just going 
to the movies for a popcorn flick. It's very surface level Indiana Jones and Pirates. And then really granular, that's when you get the elements of national treasure, like we have hopefully convinced you all of here today. <laughs> so, you guys, we want to hear what you think about Jungle Cruise. Do you have the strong opinions that we shared today? Do you, do you feel similarly? We're going to want you to tell us on social media. Yes, please tell us on Instagram or Twitter at NT Hunt Podcast. Guys, go ahead and maybe check out some of our other past comparison episodes to see how we do with comparing National Treasure to other things such as the Da Vinci Code or Indiana Jones. And go ahead and check them out by finding us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or SoundCloud as well as the new podcast platform that we are trying out, Good Pods. And while you're at it, guys, go ahead and check out our link tree in which you will find a link to our merch store where you can go ahead and get some National Treasure Hunt merch for yourself. You can get anything from notebooks to shirts. Go ahead and support us in any way that you possibly can on all of those various platforms. And as Aubrey said, please do tell us what your thoughts are on Jungle Cruise and this episode in general. Absolutely. And of course, we have to invite you back for our next episode, which will be the penultimate episode of season three of National Treasure Hunt. This episode that's coming up, you guys, it's long awaited. We've been talking about it for a while. There's a lot of hype for Emily and myself surrounding this upcoming (laughs) episode, which will be on morals and ethics in the National Treasure franchise. You're not going to want to miss that. So be sure to come back to... uh, to hear us break that down, it's going to be a wild ride, I think. I think it's going to be great. So until then, everyone, I'm Aubrey. And I'm Emily. And thank you so much for joining us on our National Treasure Hunt. Mm-hmm.